Well, good morning. It has certainly been a strange week. Uh, I know for many of you it has been, but uh, for me and for uh, the, the pastoral staff here, uh, it's been quite unusual. We're in a different place than we were a year and a half ago when we first had the COVID outbreak because many of you have been vaccinated. Many of you have already had COVID, and so you have natural immunity that's come from that. And, and yet we are experiencing for the first time at First Baptist Church Watauga, kind of a, a real outbreak, a, a mini outbreak, if you would say, because I believe it is contained uh, right now among those families who had returned from camp. I want to give you just an update for both those that are online watching and those that are here. Uh, nothing has changed since yesterday, but we have had uh, 10 uh, students, uh, actually eight students and two uh, sponsors that were at camp, uh, at our youth camp, uh, a little over a week ago now, test positive for COVID. We had two more uh, that I believe, that we believe had COVID. Their parents uh, just chose not to have them tested. Uh, but in both of those cases, uh, we've had secondary infections that came into those homes. So we also have had three secondary infections, which what I mean by that is a parent or a sibling of somebody who came back from camp with COVID has now tested positive. And so, uh, all of those cases are contained uh, within those campers who came back. We made decisions early in the week, as soon as we heard from camp uh, what was going on, to have the, encourage those families to get tested, pay attention to what was going on in their homes, to quarantine in their homes. And because of that, uh, I believe that we're on the right track. Uh, we're not seeing uh, that the, the COVID spread beyond that. We've had two other church members that have reported that they tested positive for COVID in the last week or week and a half. Uh, in both of those cases, they had gotten COVID somewhere else. It had nothing to do with the camp outbreak. It didn't have anything to do with church. Uh, they'd gotten it at their workplace or some other place. And uh, everyone, uh, as far as we know at this point, is doing well. In fact, some of the parents have told me uh, their, their biggest issue right now is keeping their kids who are feeling well, keeping them contained at home because they don't feel that sick, uh, they're doing fine. And so uh, we'll continue to pray uh, for those families. And so, of course, because of that, we have many families that are out because they simply are, are at home, quarantined right now. And then we made that decision to just go ahead and cancel growth groups and limit our services this week to make sure that we could contain that, give us a little bit of time to see what was happening and let these secondary and then if any tertiary infections work their way out. Uh, our hope is that by next weekend, uh, by next Sunday, we'll be back to our regular full schedule uh, and maybe even by midweek. We haven't made those decisions yet, so be watching for those. We'll make those decisions early tomorrow uh, when we come together as a staff to pray and, and work through it. So there you go. It is a crazy time. Personally, uh, I've felt great. In fact, I want to use this kind of as an illustration, and I want to be careful here because I recognize that not everyone uh, has the same view uh, on, on uh, COVID and, and vaccinations and all that kind of thing. But this week, uh, even uh, two days this week, Susan and I went to Rangers baseball game, surrounded by thousands of people. In fact, over 20,000 people each night. And I almost felt guilty because I knew that we had families that were quarantined. There were others who had been asked to, to stay at home because of uh, if you if you had been exposed and you hadn't been vaccinated uh, or, or you had not had COVID. So maybe you, you didn't have a confidence that you had the, those antigens in your blood uh, that 
you needed to be careful this week and, and just make sure that we didn't continue to spread it. But I, I'm walking around Ranger Stadium going, why do I feel such freedom? Why is it that I'm not worried about it? And there's two reasons. One, I had COVID, okay? Y'all know that. Back in uh, end of December, 1st of January, Susan and I both tested positive. We were diagnosed with COVID. And, uh, you know, it, 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 yeah, I didn't feel great. I felt like I had the bad flu was my personal experience with it. And, and then we made the decision, partly because she was uh, in, working in the schools, uh, early on, back in early April, I think it was, when we had an opportunity to get the, the one-off vaccination shot, uh, the Johnson Johnson shot. In fact, three days before they shut that one down for a little while, Susan and I went in and, and, and got the vaccination. Now, I'll be real honest, because I already had COVID, I felt like that probably my antigens from the actual disease were better than what I was going to get from the vaccine. But I also knew that at some point in the near future, I was going to desire to travel, even if it was for a mission project, and any mission agency was going to require me to have that vaccination. And so it gave me that, that, that freedom. So this week, I'm, I'm walking around. It's not that I feel bulletproof, but I do feel like I've got something in my blood that covers me, so to speak. And so I've, I've got some freedom there. Well, what I want to talk to you about today is something that is a whole lot better that you can have that covers you in a much greater way. Today we're looking at John chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. And this is the passage where Jesus proclaims right at the, the last moment of his life, in his last breaths, it is finished. And in what Jesus did for us on the cross, because of that, that sacrifice, his broken body and his shed blood, he gave us a vaccine for death. In fact, he, he vaccinated us in a way that there's no way that death can touch us. We are completely immune to the power of death, hell, and the grave because of the blood of Christ that was poured out on us when we put our faith and trust in what he accomplished on the cross. So though I feel a little bit of freedom to walk around in confidence because I've already had COVID, and I'm, in fact, just this week, I, I, I give blood pretty regularly through Carter Blood Centers, and, and I, I looked on there, and I saw that I've got the antigens in my blood in the last time I gave blood in, in June. So, you know, though I feel like I, I'm a little bit bulletproof from COVID at this point, that doesn't even compare to how bulletproof I am from death. Because when I take my last breath on this earth, I won't die. I'll wake up in the presence of the Lord because of what he did on the cross. I want to read that, and we're going to walk through this text today and pay attention to a couple things that John points out in his narrative about the crucifixion. John says in verse 16, Then he handed him over to be crucified. That's Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. 
So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and they divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothes among them and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. I'm going to address a couple things and uh, kind of big picture things about how John uh, tells this narrative as, as compared to how the, uh, the synoptic gospels uh, share this narrative. Because those of you that are familiar with the crucifixion story, you'll notice there, there's a few things that John uh, focuses on uh, and there's a few things that he doesn't focus on, that he doesn't highlight. In fact, some of the synoptics spend more time talking about the, the thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus. John doesn't focus on that at all. Uh, some of the synoptic gospels focus in on uh, the fact that Jesus carried his, his cross beam of that cross partway up Calvary's mountain, but he stumbled and fell, and a man named Simon the Cyrene had to pick up the cross beam and carry it the rest of the way for him. One of the things that you'll notice in all of those, not really discrepancies, but, but looking at the, this event from a different angle, uh, John never says anything that didn't happen or, or that was untrue, but he focuses on certain things because John, throughout his gospel, is seeking to, to, to share his thesis that Jesus is the Son of God. The Gospel of John focuses primarily on the deity of Christ. He never denies the humanity of Christ, and you'll see him focus on the humanity of Christ in some places, but his primary focus is on the deity of Christ. And so when you come to the crucifixion, John shares things to remind us that Jesus was in control the whole way. Jesus was in control of the discussion with Pilate. Jesus was in control when they came to arrest him, even saying, look, you couldn't arrest me if I wasn't going to let you. I could, I could call down legions of angels. He tells Pilate, you don't have authority over me unless I give it to you or you've received authority from above. And even here in this narrative, John focuses on the events in such a way to remind us that Jesus is God. Even the prophecies that John focuses on are for that purpose. And so, uh, you'll see John's, if, if you read this narrative again all the way through uh, from Gethsemane until the resurrection in the Gospel of John, you'll see that focus that is supporting John's thesis. And, and just reminds us that John wrote his Gospel for a particular purpose, just like Luke wrote his for a particular purpose, but there were two different purposes. And so, they highlighted different events in Jesus' life. And so, you'll... Uh, it reminds me of, of John chapter 20 when uh, John gives us his thesis in verses 30 and 31. And it's, it's helpful for us. We haven't looked at that in a long time as we walk through John. John said this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, 
But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John had a particular focus as he was writing his gospel, and that spills over certainly as he shares the crucifixion story. So what is it out of this story that John wants us to understand? I think first and foremost is this idea that Jesus was always in control. And he highlights that by the fact that Jesus fulfilled ancient prophecies. You're going to see two in particular that John highlights here in this text. The first one is the dividing of the clothes. And this is a miraculous prophecy. It's based off of Psalm 22, which is a messianic psalm. Uh, Scholars believe that the, the psalmist David, when he wrote that, God had inspired him in a way that he was looking forward to the coming crucifixion of the Messiah. And in Psalm 22, verse 18, it mentions it's two things, and John quotes it here. They divided my clothes among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. Now, one of those two events being fulfilled is pretty amazing. But notice how the story fleshes itself out. Not only did they take some of Jesus' clothing and divide it among themselves, there was this special piece of clothing, this tunic, that they didn't want to tear because of its value, and so they paused and cast lots for it. So the prophecy is fulfilled absolutely in full in an amazing way. Something that was written a thousand years before is fulfilled in the death of Christ in a way that he had absolutely no physical human control over it. It was only the power of God that caused that prophecy to be fulfilled, helping us know that Jesus is who he says he is. The second one that we see is this vinegar that Jesus was given to drink. That prophecy comes from another psalm, another messianic psalm, Psalm 69, 21, where where the scripture says that he was given, he would be given this, uh, this special drink, this herb to drink. And so, in those two prophecies, John highlights the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the Son of God, even to the point that he fulfilled these two prophecies that that otherwise would just seem weirdly coincidental. What does that mean for us? The first thing that I want you to understand is Jesus' death did not surprise God. God. Remember that. Jesus' crucifixion wasn't something that just happened. It was something that God planned for a purpose. His his life wasn't taken from him. I've said this time and again, and we'll say it more today. Jesus gave up his life. It was planned for a purpose. And the purpose for which his death was planned was so that we could receive forgiveness of sins. I want you to hear something else in that. Your sin did not and does not surprise God. Did you realize that? If God has called you for a particular purpose, one of the things that I hear people say is, well, God can't use me for that because of this, because of my background, because of my sin, because of my struggles. If God has called you, he called you already knowing that you're a sinner. If God has called you to accomplish something, or he's called you to a ministry, or he's called you to a task, 
God already knew your weaknesses before he called you. It doesn't surprise God. Jesus' crucifixion didn't surprise God. The fact that his, his clothes were, were uh, traded among the soldiers did not surprise the Heavenly Father. There's no details about Jesus' death that surprised the Father. Our sin doesn't surprise God. Our suffering doesn't surprise God any more than Jesus' suffering surprised his Father. Jesus was a complete fulfillment of God's purpose and God's plan. And it wasn't just for his sake, it was for the glory of God. But it was also for your sake that you might receive forgiveness of your sins. I might receive forgiveness of my sins so that I could have hope of eternal life. Jesus tells us that his purpose was to come and to seek and to save those who were lost. This is a part of the plan. This is a part of what, what God put in place from before he created Adam and Eve. From before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God had a plan for redemption, and that plan is being fleshed out right here before our eyes. And John wants us to understand that this is all a part of God's plan. There's a second thing that, uh, that John speaks to here that, that I wanted to point out, and it's the second paragraph that we read, and this is a strange one in some ways. Here, you see Jesus' mother standing there at the cross. Now, previously, all of the disciples had scattered and ran away. We do see later on in the crucifixion story, Peter standing at a distance. You see Jesus, or John here standing at the foot of the cross. The Scripture says in verse 25, after this, I'm sorry, uh, back up in verse you know, 25 and 26. Standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. I think I skipped over that when I read the text earlier on. I apologize for that. John, or Jesus, looks down from the cross, and, and he sees his mom there and his mother's sister, so his aunt, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. But there was one other person standing there. The writer of this gospel was standing there. John, who refers to himself several times in the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So when he saw his mother and John standing there, Jesus does something unusual for our ears. He looks at John and says, take care of my mom. John, behold your mom. Mary, behold your son. John, I want you to take care of my mom. Now, why does Jesus do that at this point? I, I don't know that, that, that there's any other explanation than this, that Jesus loved and wept and felt empathy for his mom and wanted her cared for the very best that she could be. At this point, Jesus, in a very real way, is simply fulfilling one of the great commandments to honor your mother. Imagine that. I, I want to pause there for just a moment. We, 
We know that we have a responsibility to care for our parents. I see great examples of that oftentimes from people in our church body who go above and beyond in how they care for their parents and in times of death and dying or struggles in life. But here Jesus beaten, battered, and bruised. Some of his very last words were to make sure that his mom was taken care of. I believe that, that that's there for a purpose. I don't believe that John just put that there. I believe that, that, that he wants us to understand the importance and value of caring for our parents, even in the most difficult of times. We are commanded, and we are reminded by Paul in the New Testament that one of the greatest, most important jobs that we have is to honor our mom and dad. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. He said, honor your, your parents. But this is the only command, or the first command with a promise, is the way Paul puts it, that you might live well. Honor your mom and dad. And so here you see Jesus. <laughs> One of the, the, the seven last phrases that he speaks from the cross has to do with taking care of his mom. And I, I, I want that to seek, sink in for just a little bit. It's weird because it's, it's so different than where John's headed with this text. But I believe there's a purpose for that. And I believe that there's a reason that the Lord wants us to hear that today. And then we move from there to verse 28, where we find Jesus' last words on the cross. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The highlight of this passage for me is Jesus' last word that John records. It's translated three words in English, it is finished. Those three words are one Greek word, tetelestai. The word means to be fulfilled, to be made complete, uh, brought to fulfillment. There's, there's some uh, evidence out there that suggests that it, it also means to, uh, to be paid in full, uh, that a bill or uh, uh, if you were to pay off a debt, uh, that, that has that same meaning that, that when you pay off that debt, they, they would stamp uh, that with that word to telestai, and that would mean that the bill was paid in full. I think that the greater focus for us just simply needs to be on this understanding that Jesus himself understood that he had fulfilled his purpose. He had done what he had come to do. Now, there is a unique thing about this passage that I had not seen before. That word, tetelestai, appears twice, and another form of that root appears right here in this same passage. So, within two verses, John uses that word three times. One of those times, it's almost a stretch that he uses that word, because in, in verse 28, when the Scripture says, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that's the exact same word. When he knew that everything now was fulfilled, it was completed, Jesus knew that the job was done. 
John then uses another word <coughs> that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, this isn't the first time that John had mentioned prophecy in the Gospel of John and said that that prophecy had been fulfilled. But every other time that John did that, he used a different word to mean the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the only time that he used the same root of tetelestai, that word that, that he used that same root to fulfill, uh, to, to say that a prophecy was fulfilled or that scripture was fulfilled. And then the third time, of course, is Jesus' own exclamation of that word, tetelestai. Why does that matter? Because I think that John is, is bringing us to a point, like I said earlier, that Jesus is in complete control. Jesus is not coming to the end of his life in a, in a, in a place of weakness where he could do nothing else. Jesus has come to a point where he recognized the job was done, he recognized that Scripture was completely fulfilled, and he proclaimed, it is finished. The job is accomplished. It is over. I have done what I've come to do. Verse 28, everything was now completed. Verse 29, or I'm sorry, the last half of verse 28, Scripture was now completely fulfilled. And then he uses the exact same wording, the same root at least, to say, it is finished. And he bows his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus had won the victory over the enemy. He crushed the head of the serpent by coming and living a perfect life, fulfilling everything that Scripture had said he was going to accomplish and dying on the cross, shedding his own blood for your sins and my sins, that we could be restored to a relationship with his heavenly Father. His battle was over. He won the victory. It is finished. He fulfilled every assignment that had been given him by the Father. I wonder if when the Apostle Paul came late in his life to write to Timothy in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, if Paul really believed that he had completed every single task or if he had failed at some point, my guess would be that Paul humbly would say, I'm at a point where I've done everything I can do, I've finished the, 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 the fight, I've, 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 I've fought with faith, and I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. Jesus wasn't being poured out. Jesus had won. Jesus had finished everything. He had fulfilled every prophecy regarding the Son of God. He had finished the task. What was finished here? The most important task that he came to complete was finished on the cross when he died. He shed his blood to pay the debt for your sin and my sin. I'm reminded of our recent study in the book of Hebrews. When the writer of Hebrews spoke with these, these words, he said, by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, 
after offering one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. You know why Jesus sat down? Because he finished the task. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he could take a seat on the throne of God because he had completed the task. It was finished. Unlike our efforts to reach God, we will always, if, if, if we think that we can reach God by good, doing good deeds, we're always going to be pressing, trying to do one more good deed, one more good deed. We have to do another one. We have to measure up. When Jesus completed the task, when he died on the cross, he proclaimed, it is finished because he had done everything necessary that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins and a relationship restored to a holy God. The gulf between man and God was bridged when Jesus died on that cross. There's no longer any other sacrifice needed for forgiveness of sins. His death, his blood, his broken body was enough. It is finished. I believe that that exclamation also highlights what John had already told us. Jesus remained in complete control until the very end. In fact, I love the way that John phrases the last sentence in verse 30. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus, here in the first person, is the, the subject of the verb gave up. He didn't put it in the passive that his spirit was given up. He did not say that his spirit was taken from him by death. John made very clear to us that Jesus gave up his spirit. From the beginning until the end, Jesus is God, and he was still in complete control in that situation. I believe with all of my heart that the same legions of angels that Jesus could have called forth when he was in the garden, if he decided that he was done with this mess, he could have called forth those same angels when he was hanging on the cross. He was in control of the situation from the beginning to end because he is God. Jesus followed through with his assignment from the Father until it was finished. He followed through his fulfillment of prophecy until it was finished. And he followed through with his sacrifice of his blood and his body for your sin and my sin until it was finished. And when Jesus proclaimed it is finished. Upon that proclamation of Jesus, I place all of my faith. I started out by the message with that illustration. I believe that I have some high level of immunity to this disease that's ravaging around the world, COVID-19. I believe that I have some measure of immunity to it because I did everything that I could do. I've had the disease and I've gotten vaccinated. But I know that there can still be breakthrough cases. We're hearing them, aren't we? I have absolute immunity to death, 
to hell and the grave because of the blood of Christ that covers me. There will be no breakthrough cases. For those who have put their faith and trust in Christ for eternal life, your, your salvation, your hope, your eternity is secure in Christ. The enemy has no way to defeat that barrier. In Christ, you have eternal life that cannot be taken away from you. Because as Jesus proclaimed, it's not up to me. It's not that Jesus did his part and now I have to do my part. Jesus did it. There's no other sacrifice that can be made. There's no other debt that can be paid. Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin. All I can do is simply say, thank you, Lord, and receive his gift of eternal life and choose to follow him. My hope is not placed on my ability to sustain any measure of, of perfect faithfulness. My hope and my future is rooted and grounded in these words that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What he did on the cross was enough. There's no other sacrifice, blood sacrifice, animal sacrifice, spiritual sacrifice. There, there, there's no other emotional sacrifice to be made. He did it all. He did enough. And the blood of Christ is enough. Anything else that you add as a requirement for salvation to what Christ did on the cross is the same as saying that Jesus' death was necessary but not enough. I'm here to tell you Jesus finished the job. It's finished. If you put your faith and trust in him for eternal life, that is settled because he accomplished all that needed to be accomplished on the cross. For those of you that are here or watching online, I want to extend an invitation because if you have not put your faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross for your eternal life, Scripture is also clear that you have no hope of eternal life. Jesus said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is your only hope. He is the only way. He did it all. He did enough but he's the only hope that we have of eternal life. And if you have not put your trust in him for your eternal life, I implore you to make that decision. To, to, first, you've got to believe. You've got to believe that what God's word says is true, that Jesus did all that's necessary for you to be saved, for you to have eternal life when he died on that cross. You have to believe that. Put your faith in that. And then put your life in his hands. Say, Lord, I trust you with my eternity. I trust you with my life. And when you make that decision and you pray to put your faith and trust in God, you'll forever from that day forward have secure eternal life. You'll be eternally secure in Christ. Not in your own goodness, not in your own strengths, but in his. Because he did the work. He did what was necessary that you might be saved. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know.
in all things. To God be the glory, honor, and praise.